Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome into another edition of the Strictly Stripes podcast, all things Strictly Cincinnati Bengals talk. Muhammad Ahmad running the full court press with you. And again, we've been mentioning it and I'm going to keep saying it. You want to sign up for Cincinnati Football Insider to get all the texts, all the insight straight to your phone before you get it from Twitter, before you get it through the clutter known as social media. It's a 14-day free trial. Doesn't get better than that. It's $4.99 to sign up. Again, this will get you text updates before it gets to anybody else on social media. To sign up, make sure you go to cleveland.com slash bangles. Click on the blue banner top of the page. Or if it's also easier, send a text to 513-949-4147. Again, $4.99 a month. 14-day free trial, not 7, not 10, 14-day free trial. So make sure you sign up and be a part of this wonderful, lovely family. And speaking of my family, I'm joined by my, I called them the cool kids on the block yesterday. I'll just call them my partners in crime, Mike Nislik, Andrew Gillis. Gentlemen, I know you guys still don't like the beignets and hot chocolate, but what else are we liking when it comes to New Orleans food? Because it's Saints week. Who'd Amy to that? I feel like I got to have gumbo, right? Like, I feel like gumbo or like a po'boy or something has to be on the menu. Like, I feel like if, if, you, if you go down there and you miss out on that, I feel like you failed. I agree. Uh, you know, it's different for me because I'm Muslim, so I can't eat certain things with gumbo like pork. But hey, if it's straight shrimp and vegetable broth, I'm diving in. Mm-mm. I mean, when you're going to New Orleans, you drink. So, I mean, Sazerac, that's where the drink was born. Uh, in New Orleans, uh, Absinthe House, it's a, it's a good stop. Uh, Carousel Bar is a nice stop. Uh, you can't go wrong. Okay, so Mike did his research because I was just like, yeah, I figure wherever we go, I'll just start, like, I'll just have a few drinks. Um, but apparently, Mike, I mean, I didn't know, like, have you been to New Orleans before? Because I've never been to yeah, New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, I, we, I covered the Senior Bowl there, spent a week there uh, for that, okay. and then I've been back. Uh, anytime we go through to uh, visit New uh, LSU on the Auburn beat, uh, spend a night in New Orleans and uh, attended a very lovely wedding in New Orleans. And oh, so I have. Oh, uh, so you're a you're a veteran here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I speak well, yeah, of what I, I know. Everything everybody tells me is like, if you go to New Orleans, it's a it's got like a little bit of that like Nashville Vegas vibe to it, where everyone's just like, have fun in New Orleans, be careful, like watch it because you it can get out of hand quick. So like. 
And I don't know that I'd compare it to Vegas at all, really. I don't, I don't get okay. that feel, no. Okay. I, that's, well, the I, game is at noon, so it's not like you can really do yeah. much damage anyway. So we'll see. Again, I also don't drink because I'm also Muslim. So we <laughs> live in totally different hemispheres. But you know what? It's all good. Muhammad has his own fun. That, that's why I'm so special or not so special, depending on who you ask. But it's all good. But I want to actually start out with some controversy, guys, because I cannot stop thinking about this. So the Bengals obviously have those ping pong tables in their locker room. There's two to be exact. And you almost know who's always going to be on there. Some days it's the receivers like Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. Then it's usually guys like Joe Burrow and even Evan McPherson and Chidobe Awuzie. But here's why I bring that up. You may have seen this. The Miami Dolphins locker room no longer has a ping pong table. That apparently is because Tyreek Hill, who's a team captain, thought it was a distraction. But notice how this doesn't come up until this week when the Dolphins are not a 3-0 team like they were before they played the Bengals. Of course, you have all the controversy with Tua, but I mean, is that an exaggeration over exaggeration? I mean, it's ping pong. Like, if I'm a football player, I'm having fun with it. Like, if I'm just trying to decompress before or after practice, I'm just taking out on a ping pong. I don't find anything distracting about that. So what's the real deal behind this? I I don't know. Like, it's one of those things where it feels like people just look for something to blame when things go wrong. Like, people are like, oh, well, you know, this, that, the other. We've been in the locker room. You know what guys are doing when they're in the locker room? They're eating. They're getting dressed. They're taking a shower. They're relaxing. They're checking their phone before practice starts because, like, it's a little bit of downtime for them. So who cares? That sounds like an overreaction. I actually hadn't heard that until we started this podcast. That's an overreaction. Come on, like, relax. Just just take a breath. I believe Marvin Lewis did it once. He had the ping pong tables removed from the Bengals locker room. I I mean, I've heard coaches do that, uh, take out kind of the entertainment that's in there uh, when things aren't going good. I'm not sure the exact story of what is all going on with the Dolphins. I mean, that seems unreasonable to punish them when their quarterback, you know, the, all that happened. I mean, really, that's kind of where things went wrong for them. It has nothing to do with ping pong. Um, but coaches do that because um, you got to control something when you can't win games. You just try to find stuff. Well, I think it's interesting that according at least to Mike McDaniel, the Dolphins head coach, it was at the behest of Tyree Kill. So that's the even more interesting part. If it was just McDaniel or Marvin Lutz, it's like, okay, Coaches just got to do something, but it's like Tyreek Hill, like really? I mean, that that's a whole level of dysfunction I won't get into, but does this mean if the Bengals lose this week in New Orleans, does that mean that the ping pong tables are going to be gone and we're not going to watch Joe Burrow duel Evan McPherson anymore? I really hope not. Cause by the way, <laughs> <Me neither. laughs> this is, this is, this is Mitchell Wilcox erasure because Mitchell Wilcox is really, really freaking good. Like, he is. He might be the best player. Like it's Mitchell Wilcox, and then um, I'm trying to think who else. It's there's somebody uh, else. Boyd's really pretty good. good. Jermaine Pratt yeah. played a lot. Yeah, but I, I think Mitchell Wilcox is probably the best player. So like, definitely, if you're going to include the Evan McPherson and Joe Burrow, you have to include Mitchell Wilcox. I don't think you can get your ping pong tables taken away until two years removed from a Super Bowl appearance. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's that, that. That should be the rule of thumb. Yeah, especially like the Bengals in this case because they're defending conference champions next year. Sure. But I think right now, I mean, God forbid they lose the rest of their games. Even then, I still don't think you take it away. You leave it for them to have fun for the us. The games, they're going to be worried, more worried about other things than ping pong. I mean, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Lockers are going to get cleared out. 
But see, for us, since we're not going to get our lockers cleared out because we don't have them, that's our focus of entertainment. However, the real focus, again, is the Saints. It's going to be whether Andy Dalton, the former Bengal, the former Striped Tiger suits up for the Saints, which could be the case depending on Jameis Winston's condition. But it's not just going to be Dalton facing his former Bengals. It's going to be Von Bell, Trey Hendrickson, Eli Apple, a trio of defenders who were all together at one point, at least Bell and Hendrickson were in New Orleans. And I think this is the game where the Saints realize they lost out on a lot. They lost out on elite talent like Von Bell. They lost out on Hendrickson, who had a Pro Bowl season breaking franchise records for the Bengals. And I think this is their time to shine, and it's only fitting. It's against their old team. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting kind of group that the core of the defense is sort of, um, you know, from another team and played with another team. I think that's kind of unique when you have three starters like that, um, you know, uh, and, and all, all thriving sort of in their new new situations. Um, and, and the Saints haven't sort of um, improved any since, since losing them. So I think it's unique, um, you know. I think players always downplay sort of what it means to them. And I don't know that it changes anything. It's just, you know, I think there's probably a little more emotion going into the game. Um, but I mean, the, the, what did the, uh, Bengals defensive coordinator said their loss is kind of our gain. I mean, you don't know why they move on from those situations and the, the NFL contract lengths and, and amounts have a lot to do with it. Um, and so, you know, I, I just think it, it's, it's a unique situation with three starters as opposed to just one one or two guys that, you know, had played there. These all guys had played together, too, uh, makes it sort of a, a unique kind of um, storm. Yeah, and, like, it's funny. Um, when you talk to some of these guys, like, there would be various players. Like, Leo Collins kind of did this during the Dallas week where he was like, ah, you know, it'll be fun to go back. I don't have any ill will towards whatever. But, like, this game means something to these guys. Like, it always does. Um you know, uh, like we saw Hayden Hurst last week. So Hayden Hurst was a captain. Um, it sounds like, by the way, Zach answered that question on Wednesday that uh, all three of those guys are going to be captains in New Orleans. Um, or well, at he's least not sure because they, they also have Chase and Burrow and a couple right. of other locals. He's so trying he to figure out how many guys he could. I think have you he could seen, only have three. But uh, have you ever seen yeah, the Gridiron Gang where they like send out like the entire team for the coin toss? Like, I feel like that's when eventually it's going to happen. Um, but yeah, like this game matters. Like you saw Hayden Hurst do it in Baltimore. Like he scored and right after Mark Andrews scored and he was insanely pumped up, you know, he's waving to the crowd and everything. And then when they were down at that goal line sequence, the one that we debated for so long, uh, that first down play, he was, he was ticked off that there was the, the pass center or there was like no holding call on him because he thought he was going to score. Uh, and you know, he wanted that second one. So like it, it'll be, and I'm, I'm really, really interested to see what those three guys what their emotions are like just on game day. Um, well, it'll be different for Bell and Hendrickson because Apple yeah, yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> well, well that's a whole different story. But Apple had made the cut. We can get to that. But Apple has been there before. Uh, his alone game he played in Carolina was at New Orleans. Um, so this will be his second visit back. This is the Bell and Hendrickson's uh, first first visit back to the Super Right. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I, I, like I said, you know, I don't think there's really any love loss for Hendrickson. I think for him it was just a business decision. But, man, with Apple, I, I am really 
Like, when we're there, I'm going to be really looking at what the crowd says or does, if and when he does something. But you know with Von Bell, his situation I don't think is obviously as personal as Eli Apple because he didn't go on social media like Apple did way back when. But it seems to me like this might be personal to Von Bell because obviously they didn't extend an offer to him. He became a free agent, which, like Anarumo said, was one of the best things to happen to the Bengals' defense, and rightfully so. But there is something personal that I don't think he's going to fully show his deck of cards on, but... I think there's going to be a special energy he shows at that game. He's obviously had three picks in two games. He's just going to play like it's a business trip, but there is something there. I, I just can kind of sense it from hearing him this week. There's something that's going to come out of Von Bell this week, being back in New Orleans. Yeah, well, like I said, there's always that energy, but like also, uh, you know, kind of like Mike was talking about with Lou. Lou was like, you know, sometimes you can find gain with those players, but like this is kind of – like it sounds simple, but I don't think it's something that every team does where it's okay. We have a player that can do this really well. Forget what he like. Th- th- I know this is a thing for draft evaluation season, but like there are so many coaches and so many evaluators that just will look at a player and say, I don't care what he can't do. Tell me what he can do. And I think that that kind of has worked for these guys. And because like the Bengals defense, I mean, there's not one player, with all due respect to their Bengals defense, there's not one player on that team where you'd be like, oh, future Hall of Famer. Oh, like for as good as they've played, you can't, you can, oh, future Hall of Famer. You know, you know, every year he's an all pro, every year this, every year that. But they're just a collective unit that plays really well. And I think that kind of goes into it. And those three are obviously big parts of that because if you can get guys to just do what they do well and you don't really have to ask them to do much more than that, because if everybody else kind of has that, it's a good group. And that's kind of what's worked for those three and then the group together. Well, it sounds to me like Bell was frustrated, not just with the Saints, sort of the NFL in general, that he got sort of pigeonholed, that he was sort of uh, in the box safety and didn't have range. Yeah. And, and, and Lou kind of talked about a play made against Kansas City uh, in the AFC Championship game, which was, you know, he said was Ed Reed-like. You know, there's only one Ed Reed. But, you know, sort of you use that as an example to say that, um, you know, some guys, you know, you evaluate them differently and he didn't see kind of the the weaknesses as that part of the game and I think Bell thought that the Saints felt he was sort of limited and found another player that um you know wasn't had had a greater skill set in their eyes and I think he took that personally um and he said it wasn't just them I mean, he said since Ohio you know he felt he put it on film at Ohio State and and you know NFL kind of evaluators just didn't see that um and and the Bengals obviously did cuz they said at the time they weren't thinking of signing a safety and they sort of made the exception because when you have certain talents that come available, uh, you don't want to miss out. Yeah, and Zach Taylor, you know, he even talked about it. Like he coached against Bell when uh, Taylor was coaching quarterbacks for the Rams, especially in that very controversial NFC championship game, hard to believe it was over three years ago. I mean, that was kind of the tipping point. He was like, this guy is something special. And then once free agency popped up a year later as head coach of the Bengals and he kind of revisited that and said, yeah, this definitely worked out. And, you know, you really see that free range. Like, all of his interceptions have been in just deep coverage, which, like you said, the Saints didn't really utilize to their own detriment. And that's what they're going to see on Sunday. But what the Bengals are going to see, and I want to really get into this, whether it's Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston, it's going to be a unique challenge because, you know, for Andy Dalton, who started the last two games in place of Winston, this is his third time facing the Bengals with, Three different teams last year with the Bears, year before that with Dallas. And Zach Taylor actually coached Dalton in Taylor's first season in 2019, so he knows a lot about Andy. 
But I don't want to use the whole, oh, he's a washed-up old quarterback. I mean, he is. There's a reason why the Bengals have Joe Burrow and not him. But he's not half bad. He's not half bad for what he's been through and where he is as a journeyman backup. But it'll be interesting to see if, you know, Jason or Jameis Winston gets to start because he was practicing, albeit limited. So that'll be interesting. Although I wonder how much does the plan change with either quarterback? Yeah, I think with with Dalton, it's much more of a not conservative game plan necessarily, but I think it's much more of a limited game plan just in terms of um and I don't even know if it's like a hundred percent just the game plan but like I think if, if Dalton plays you know throw 26 28 30 passes he's not really gonna he's not really gonna air it out they're not gonna ask him to do too much um but if I think if Winston plays Winston is kind of that that gunslinger like do you remember that conversation like that everybody had a few years ago like talking about LASIK surgery with Jameis he went like the 30 for 30 club and everybody's like oh like he got LASIK surgery like he's better now that's kind of just who Jameis is like Jameis just launches it everywhere he's really got a little bit of that like Rex Grossman quality to him where he'll just throw it up and see what happens so like I think with with Dalton uh, turnovers are going to be much more hard to come by uh, for the Bengals defense just because Dalton is a little bit more cautious, uh, a little bit more conservative. But with Winston, Winston's not afraid to put it out there. So, I mean, a lot of this depends on who's going to be healthy at receiver, and we can talk about that in a few minutes. But um, I think with, with Dalton, you're just going to see a game plan that is not very sexy. And with Winston, you know, really, really high floor – or really, really high ceiling, excuse me, really, really low floor. I disagree a little bit with Dalton. I mean, if you saw kind of his stat line last year, he was strong kind of in the first couple games um, that he played. Uh, one of those was against the Bengals. Uh, he was 9 of 11 in that game, uh, threw a touchdown. And then kind of at the end of the season, you kind of see um, the age. I mean, against bad opponents too, um, you know, Detroit, uh, the Giants, um, you know, was struggling. His completions percentage, uh, you know, didn't top 65% in, in three of those four games through – what I think eight of his nine interceptions uh, in that last four games, those those starts and just was kind of all over the place. I think you could kind of see the age there, and then you throw in the factor that uh, I pulled up the uh, Saints injury report, and I think this is sort of important to kind of mention, uh, especially if they have to go with Dalton. I mean, their top three receivers, uh, two of them, uh, Landry and Thomas, mispracticed today again for the second straight day, uh, and then. Uh, the other one, or who was dealing with a concussion, Olive, um, is Olave. Uh, Olave, um, was limited, and you know who knows if he'll be cleared. So, um, and on top of the fact that you obviously still don't know who's going to start between Dalton and Winston. So, I think uh, Taysom Hill is kind of the X factor. I think if Dalton is the starter, you're going to probably see a game plan similar to what they did against the Seahawks, where he gets more work in the Wildcat uh, to try to provide that different look and spark. Because I think. Dalton kind of feels to me like a Joe Flacco sort of in-the-pocket statue type that they'd be able to sort of pressure um, and really take advantage of. Uh, and I, it, it, I, I wonder if they'll let that go until game time, you know, if they'll make a decision tomorrow or if they'll, he'll just be questionable and then they'll just have to wait and see. Um, with, and especially with uh, those rest of those guys too. I mean, it could be a different team um, than what, they, what the Bengals defense is preparing for on Friday than what they get on Sunday. Like, that's the thing about it. Like, no, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Michael. I was just going to say, like, we really don't know. Like, is it Jameis? Is it Andy? Well, we see Chris. Well, we see Michael Thomas, Chris Olave. Like, 
I mean, obviously they're planning for everything, but they don't have a definitive answer. And it makes things very interesting. And I'm sure somewhat frustrating if you're, you know, Zach Taylor, Luran, and Ruma. But I'm so glad you mentioned Taysom Hill because, man, I mean, I'm just going to say it. I mean, and everyone knows this. Just, this guy is so unique, whether he's utility fielding at quarterback, wide receiver. I mean, heck, tight end. I mean, I don't think we've seen that in a while or if we'll ever see that, which I'm a big fan of stuff like that. But I don't know that the Bengals are because, I mean, he had three touchdowns, his best game against the Seahawks last week and the Saints win. But, I mean, that's, that's going to be tough. But I wonder, though, who's going to be harder to handle Hill or Alvin Kamara, because he had a 23 uh, rushing attempt, 103-yard game. I mean, he looked kind of like what Joe Mixon should be looking like. Um, So I wonder who's going to be the bigger challenge, because like with Hill, obviously he had, I think it was three receiving touchdowns, but we don't know what they're going to do with him. We don't know what we're going to see with him. So that's a toss-up, man. That's going to be pretty tough. And obviously, uh, Kamara's kind of been battling a rib injury because he has missed about one, two games this year, but didn't look like it last week. He looked like he's good to go. Well, I think they give up 100 yards to Kamara, uh, you know, easily. And and if you just stop the other explosive plays, I mean, the problem was Hill. It was three rushing touchdowns, and he's leading the NFL actually with 10.9 yards. Uh, That's per right. Carry. One of those was a 60-yarder uh, that he had against the Seahawks. He had a, I think, a, a close to a 50-yard run uh, earlier this season. So it's those explosive plays that that kind of kill you. I mean, the. Bengals have talked about how they're sort of a bend don't break defense, and they'll give up yardage. And Kamara, if he, if you know you give up 100 yards to him around four yards of carry, I mean you'll take that every day of the week. I think Hill presents that sort of you know option for those explosive plays, which the Bengals themselves have been looking for. And you know the Seahawks uh, coach Pete Carroll said they didn't really do anything fancy; that they, they were prepared for everything. They just didn't play it well. Uh, and so uh, you know I think that's what they're sort of worried about. They'll let guys get a little bit, but you, you got to stop the explosive plays, especially in those red zone kind of goal line situations. Don't let a guy like uh, Hill beat you. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like Taysom Hill present, presents a challenge, but like if, if you're asking the question, like who would I be more afraid of? Like who should I, you know, who, who should the Bengals be more focused? It's, it's Alvin Kamara. Like he, he's just, he's a better player. He's more explosive. He can do more damage just, I think, in the game-breaking challenge. And, like, you know, this was kind of a, a notion that kind of got talked about a little bit this week of, like, you know, did it help that you saw – to the players, I mean, you know, did it help that they saw um, Lamar and the Ravens' offense last week? And I just kind of look at Taysom Hill as, like, a way less good Lamar that, like, can do the same thing. Like, Lamar is obviously – head, shoulders, everything above Taysom Hill. And I just think that you have to be prepared for it. Like Mike kind of mentioned, if I think if you're prepared for it, you know, we've seen this defense, you know, not have a problem with stopping not only that type of offense, but elite talent at that type of offense. And, and I don't think Taysom Hill is an elite talent with all due respect to Taysom Hill. Um, so I like, he's just somebody that provides a bunch of different options. And I think that this defense has kind of shown that like, if you're prepared for it, they're going to be fine. So I, to me, it's, it's Camara just because the, the different options that you get with him out of the backfield, with him running the ball. Like I know he, to me, he's just way, way more explosive than Hill. And I get Hill lines up everywhere and you got to account for that. But it's yeah. It, to me, it's it's pretty easy. 
Oh, yeah, no, but I mean, you're right about Hill. I wasn't saying in the sense of like, oh, my God, this guy is so crazy. He can right. do it all. Oh, no, he's by no means a Lamar Jackson. I mean, I'm sure Lamar Jackson is someone you still have a migraine after playing days later. But, but you are right, though. I mean, having someone like Lamar the week before is a blessing because, you know, Taysom Hill is like a much more, much, much more miniature version of that. Um, yeah, Kamara... It's going to be tough. I mean, he's been a pro bowler almost every year for a reason. He's one of the most consistently uh, fierce running backs in the league. I mean, this is someone – this is coming from someone who started him in his fantasy football championship the same day he ran for six touchdowns, and that's why I won my fantasy league. So, yes, I'm going to brag about it. And I'm a little biased because of that. But, again, there's a reason why he did that. It wasn't just the turn of luck. But I think this – is the most like this is the one thing I just really need to know and understand with this Bengals defense because this is all I think we heard everyone in the locker room talk about Sunday and I was thinking a lot about this. Yes, they haven't allowed any touchdowns in the second half. Yes, they boast a top five rushing defense and I think a top ten basically overall defense and guys like Logan Wilson and Sam Hubbard are only getting better and better among other guys. But what is the point in all of that when your three losses have come on game-winning drives. I understand, and we talked about this, a lot of that is on the offense. I'd say most of it is on the offense. But in those situations, you got to deliver. In those situations where Lamar Jackson has the ball with three timeouts and 158 left, you got to do what you were doing the whole game because his longest run of the game came on that drive. That's unacceptable. If it's the other way around, sure. You know, how you finish is more important than how you start. And again, this is not a criticism, but this is even what they were saying is we got to finish better. We got to finish better. Every case is unique, whether it be, of course, Pittsburgh. You can kind of put an asterisk on that, but Dallas, Baltimore, those were stoppable drives. And I don't think they're going to be in a situation where they're going to have to be in that position where, you know, whether it's Dalton or Winston, you know, has three timeouts or however many with a minute left. I don't think they'll be in that situation, but God forbid if they are. They need to prevent a fourth walk-off field goal because otherwise at that point, there's going to be some clipboard slammed, uh, hopefully not Microsoft tablets because those are not cheap, but we already saw that with the Bills anyhow. But there's going to be a lot of frustration. Like something's got to give. Again, I say this with a fine line because it's a good defense, but this is a problem just five games in. I mean, sure, like it's a problem, but like to me when – like the like the Steelers, they they only scored sixteen offensive points that day. Like the the last field goal that they had, I get that they missed one, but their last field goal in in the final second of overtime was uh, like it gave them their sixteenth offensive point. Like like if you were like like because I asked you guys this question after Sunday's game, like um, you know if 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 I told you kind of where the defense was where how, how many points they were allowing things like that we were kind of like oh this is five and oh like worst case four and one so i to me i think that you know that's just kind of asking a lot but i think the area they could really improve on is um is turning the ball over uh and i think that that kind of would jump start the offense because all of a sudden i mean evan mcpherson kicking in a dome is is something that you're going to be pretty uh pretty content with so you know if you turn the ball over at midfield you get one first down you're in field goal range i i just think that i mean obviously like i said i think this gets a little easier with Jameis, but um if you can start to turn the ball over that's really going to kind of jumpstart things offensively i think so for me um 
I, you know, it, it's really, it's really hard even saying that because this defense has done so much so far this season, and they've really been the reason that this team is two and three. And I know that sounds uh, like a negative, but I mean that in a positive way because if the defense was not holding up their end of the bargain, who knows where where this team would be right now? So. I think the one area where you can really improve upon is turnovers because if you start to get these turnovers, you know, maybe add in some sacks, those big type of momentum changing plays. But outside of that, I mean, they've been outstanding. So it's, it's kind of picking nits at this point. Well, I think it's less the turnover. Well, I mean, I think, I think turnovers are sort of the end result of what I think the problem is. And it's the, the, and part of that's kind of the teams they've faced and the quarterbacks they've faced, but the, the, uh, pass rushing. Uh, they have all these pass rushers and they're just not getting to the quarterback enough. I mean, their sack rate, I think is at 4.2% on all, uh, dropbacks. That's 29th, uh, in the NFL. And, and, you know, obviously Lamar Jackson's getting the, rid of the ball quickly or running and he's very hard and he's very elusive. And that was part of it. But in that Jets game against a guy like Joe Flacco, they were disruptive and that, uh, made all the difference. And I, if they play Andy Dalton, I think that's going to, uh, be the first and foremost priority is making him uncomfortable in the pocket, which is they just haven't been able to do against a lot of court. I mean, Cooper Rush wasn't very uncomfortable, and that, I think, hurt them in that game. That was, I think, a missed opportunity, and they've got the talent. I mean, this is where you miss, uh, you know, some of the, the depth in, in the middle uh, with Reader out right now and uh, with that, that knee injury. And so I think they really need to kind of be more disruptive along the defensive line. And I think those, that leads to those turnovers because they're not bad turning the ball over. They've had uh, picks in the last, I think, three games. Uh, they've done a good job with, with that uh, and are solid in the secondary. But I think the more you sort of pressure the quarterback, the more turnovers you're, you're forcing overall because you're forcing uh, bad throws. You're, you're stripping the ball usually. So I think they just need to get to the quarterback more, especially if it's Dalton. I think they can have a field day and, and really kind of tur- turn the tables on them. Yeah, Sam Hubbard, I mean, and he's, again, I think a very, very underrated pass rusher in the league. He should have at least three and a half sacks. He almost had one against Baltimore that was voided due to a, I think it was a defensive holding penalty. But even he said, you know, I'm doing great, but I got to get to the quarterback. I think Hendrickson's been doing that. Uh, He didn't quite do that against Baltimore, but boy, was he disruptive. And again, this is a great defense. I'm with Andrew. I'm probably just being really harsh right now, but... This is just something I thought about because this, this is just all I heard from Von Bell, all I heard from Sam Hubbard, from Logan Wilson even. We didn't finish. We don't care about anything else. We didn't finish. And I'm sure that's the sentiment a lot of people feel. But we're going to finish up our end of the bargain with one more reminder that, again, you need to sign up for Cincinnati Football Insider. Doesn't get better than this. 14-1-4, 14-day free trial. In the words of LeBron, not 10, not 11, not 12, not 13, 14 day free trial. You will not be charged until the end of that trial, and it's only $4.99 a month. You'll get all the best insights and bonus content that you won't get through the clutter of social media. So again, as an insider, you get the best updates, and you get to be a part of this happy, fun Bengals family, the best Bengals family. Am I right, guys? A family? Are we there yet? I think we are. Are we, are I we, think we a family? Are. What are we at? I, I, I don't have my watch on. I just, I have an Apple Watch now um, because I'm awesome. Um, and I, like I just instinctively look for the date now when my when my wrist is when my watch isn't even there. So it's October 13th. We, I mean, two three weeks. Give it time. We're like distant relatives at this point, which I guess <laughs> is family technically, but like we're getting there. 
I'm super extra gregarious, guys. You know, I, I, this is why I'm, I'm the point guard. This is, this is why we do what we do. But we appreciate you all joining us. Tune in tomorrow. We're going to have our game picks, more predictions, last-second hot takes. But, again, thank you so much for joining us. Once again, for myself, Mike Nislik, and Andrew Gillis, I'm Muhammad Ahmad. We'll see you back here tomorrow.